0: what the actual fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians yours truly sammy previtt owner of fine food freedom and jenna warner owner of happy strong healthy we can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body Try, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Sammy Previtt here. And I'm really excited for this episode. I'm also really nervous, which is strange. Um, I don't get nervous often, but I guess it makes sense because I'm talking about something extremely personal to me. So Some of you, most of you probably saw that we released on social media, whether you're following at Fine Food Freedom, if you're following um, on my podcast, What the Actual Fork Pod Instagram, we released that myself and my husband are expecting and we will be 12 weeks pregnant tomorrow. So I'm recording this on Tuesday, November 16th. So tomorrow is the 17th and that will mark 12 weeks. We'll be closing out the first trimester and heading into the second trimester, which is just crazy to say. And I'm super excited to be filming or, excuse me, recording this podcast on my last day of fertility, medications, Holy shit, it has been a long year. For those of you who follow on Instagram, I posted yesterday a picture of all of the needles and all of the little vials of medication that have gone into my body this year. And they were in like huge one gallon bags. And it was really crazy to just see that. So for those of you who are on your own fertility journey or seeking infertility treatments, Um, You know what I'm talking about, all the needles and all of the things. Uh, I had my first injection starting our first round of IVF back in January. January 27th was my first injection, and yesterday, uh, Monday the 15th of November, was my last injection. And then I finished up my pills and super fun suppositories today. Can't wait. But if you haven't already noticed, if you're new here, or this is for some reason, the first podcast you're listening to of ours, um, I have been on a fertility journey for quite some time now, and just so grateful to be at this point where, of course, we're not only pregnant, but like wrapping up the fertility meds and now, you know, being discharged to my regular OBGYN. So We graduated from our fertility clinic, and we are now considered, air quotes, normal um, patients, and we'll be going to the regular OBGYN, which I'm like, are you sure I'm regular? Because I have not been regular for a really long time. But anyways, um, and what is normal, right? Like, who's normal anymore? But on Instagram, when I announced my pregnancy, I put a little question box up and just said, you know, leave any questions that you have or... You know, that you want to know whether it was about our fertility journey, whether it's about, you know, just anything regarding fertility, because there's so much, there's so much nuance to it. There's so much that's not talked about publicly. So... I want you to know that this podcast that I'm about to get into is for informational purposes only. I want to make this extremely clear that I am not a reproductive endocrinologist. I'm not a physician. Yes, I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, so I can hold a lot of empathy on this journey, but I cannot give you any medical recommendations You know, on your fertility journey. I'm just here to share a little bit about my story and my husband. Our journey together and then really give you more resources of around the mental health aspect of fertility because I know that is something that I really struggled with that everybody struggles with on their fertility journey and I just want to help you. So I also like I hope I don't even need to say this I I probably shouldn't but whatever like anytime I share my journey I'm never looking for sympathy Um, and And I really mean that. Like the only reason I share my story and our story, when I say our story, my husband and I, is because we want to help others. And a big part of infertility is feeling alone because one in eight couples struggle to conceive. And as much as it's crazy, once you're in the infertility community, you start to connect with other people that are struggling and you definitely feel less alone. But at the same time, that means seven out of eight couples do not struggle. And that's a shit ton of people. And so I'm sure just like anybody, right, that's on social media, your Instagram feed, depending on your age, And and friends and what stage of life you're in is just full of pregnancy announcements and gender reveals and baby showers and first birthday parties. And that can be so isolating depending on where you're at. And so Again, I share all of this because I want you to feel less alone if you're going through this. I got a ton of questions about how to support friends going through this, so people that might not be struggling personally, but they have friends and family members who are struggling. So again, I am not a physician. I'm not an RE, which is a reproductive endocrinologist, who you will go and see if you are seeking fertility treatments, but I'm a human being who struggled personally, and I just hope to share, to help as many people as possible. So, I have my little notebook here. I wrote down all of the questions, and a lot of them were very similar, which makes this super easy because I can kind of lump them together. And get all these answers out. So a few questions were about our personal journey, so I'm going to start with those, give you a little background, and then I'm going to go into, like I said, more of like the mental health aspect, which is really where I want to center today's conversation. So somebody asked, how long did you try before seeking treatment? So we were in the camp of trying for one year naturally before seeking fertility treatments. And I think, you know, this is, again, so different depending on what doctor you go to. I know there's some doctors that are more proactive that if you're going to your OBGYN for your annual and you're, you know, you're saying that you want to conceive, they might recommend some tests like testing to be ahead of the game. But my OBGYN at the time, and most what I've seen or heard from others is, you know, it takes about a year normally to get pregnant. So just try, you're young, your air quotes healthy, it'll be fine. And so we tried for a year. And, you know, every month that goes by, no matter if you get pregnant naturally or not, obviously I can't speak to people who've gotten pregnant naturally, but every month that goes by is really hard. It's, you know, in the beginning, you know, my husband and I are very type A. So we're like, we got this month one, bam, we're going to get pregnant. And then, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve 10, 11, 12 months goes by. I think we even tried for a little bit more than a year. And then you're like, okay, what what the fuck is going on here? Like, this can't be that hard, right? And so we tried for a year, and then we were referred out to a fertility clinic. And it is so important. Like, I cannot stress this enough just from being in the infertility community on Instagram. And what I mean by that is following the hashtags, following creators that are sharing their journeys openly. Find a clinic that you trust find a reproductive endocrinologist that you trust. Don't be afraid to interview clinics. Like if you leave a clinic and you do not feel at home there, you don't feel like you can advocate for yourself. You need to feel safe at your clinic. And this is such a vulnerable journey. It's a long journey. It's an expensive journey. So you need to feel like where you're investing your time and your money and all of your resources that you're safe. And so we went to a clinic here in Jacksonville and we were so fortunate that the first reproductive endocrinologist that we met with was just a freaking angel on earth. Um, I love my RE, shout out to Carrie Von Groben who is now actually working at a different clinic um, in Chicago. But we loved her. She was fabulous. We trusted her. And it was just, we felt really, really good and really, really safe. And we knew that she had our best interest in mind. And so when we went through the diagnostic phase, you know, someone asked, how did you know to do IVF? Did you do IUI first? Like, how did you go about this? Infertility is so individualized, right? And so nuanced, just like so many medical diseases and conditions. And this is where you have to trust your reproductive endocrinologist, RE. You're going to hear me continuing to say RE, so I'm just going to say that because it's easier. You need to trust them. And when you're going through the diagnostic stage, once you get diagnoses, for them to tell you, like, what treatment is best for you. We were so fortunate that with our RE, she said, You guys are either gonna do IVF or you're gonna get pregnant naturally by a miracle. There's really no other option. If you did the IUI, if you tried other things, it's probably not gonna work and it's gonna be a waste of time, money, resources. And another question we got was what was that like when you knew you were going to do IVF? And I think it's a twofold answer. And I think two emotions can absolutely be present at once. There was a part of us that was grieving, right? That I think regardless of what treatment you seek, just having to go to a fertility clinic in general, there's a part of you that will grieve because you don't get to have the natural pregnancy. You don't get to surprise family and friends. You don't get to just have sex and get pregnant, right? And so when you're seeking fertility treatments in general, it's important to allow yourself to grieve and be upset and be frustrated and angry and sad or whatever comes up for you. But So there was this part of us that felt that, but then there was also this part of us that just really, and especially I think now looking back, maybe not as much in the moment, cause I was more filled with grief, like in the very beginning, But there's definitely a part of me that felt so grateful that we had such an amazing RE and someone we trusted that said, hey, you know what? For you guys, it's it's either IVF or nothing. And I think that's so, so important to, to recognize that I felt fortunate that we didn't have to go through failed IUIs or medicated cycles or I know people just take like certain meds or try different things like I don't know much about IUI or any of these other things because we went straight to IVF because that's what we are instructed to do based on our diagnoses. So what was it like? It was hard. There was a lot of grief. There was a lot of coming to terms and radical acceptance, which is something that I preach heavily in intuitive eating world. So there was a lot of that, but then there was also a lot of just feeling grateful that we had a a medical team we trusted, and we knew that we're going straight to something that our doctor feels is going to be right for us. So someone asked about insurance coverage. Oof, we did not have insurance coverage. A lot of people don't have insurance coverage. This is state by state. This is dependent on your employer. Um, So yeah no insurance coverage on our end. But again, this is this is a part of that grieving process that you and your partner need to come together and, and look at finances, look at, you know, your resources and say, like, is this what we want? And for some people, it, it might be a no. And for us, we sat down, we came together, and we knew that we wanted to try having our own biological children before we look at other routes. We were not against other routes of um, finding our way to a child, but for us, biological children was something we wanted to try first. And we are very privileged to have resources to be able to even do this. Um, So please, I just wanna like state that, I recognize our privilege to be able to say that we're doing IVF without insurance coverage. Um, and unfortunately that's a huge part of the grieving process too. I know so many people that can't move forward with treatment or have to fundraise or have to do more saving before they get to that point, which is then delaying their treatment. And that is so hard and it it sucks that this even has to be a part of the conversation. Because when we look at healthcare, right, we were told by a medical facility that this treatment is medically necessary to treat our diagnoses. But then we go to insurance and they go, oh, but we don't cover it. And it's like, what? Like, okay, this is a medical diagnosis, right? We didn't choose this. You're telling us we need this treatment, but then it's not covered. And then on top of that, not only is the treatment not covered, the medications aren't covered. And the medications are, whew, that's a whole nother expense. So every state is different. Um, Every employer is different. So those are things to look at. And definitely as, you know, I think people are talking about infertility more. For those of you who are looking into getting a job or switching jobs, like, ask about that. Whether you know you're gonna struggle with infertility or not, ask not only about like maternity leave and like those things, but like what, what do you do to help with fertility treatments? Like what's covered? And those are great questions to ask to start to advocate for yourself. So for our specific journey, we started in January of 2021 with treatment we had started with diagnostic treatment in June of 2020. We started trying June of 2019-ish, give or take. So fast forward to January uh, 27th was my first, that was day one of our cycle. We did our first round of IVF and I'm not going to explain IVF just because we could do like a three-hour podcast explaining that. And again, I'm not an RE. I will link in the show notes um, one of my favorite REs on Instagram, Natalie Crawford, where she does an amazing podcast and breaks down not only the IVF process, but then the transfer and implementation, or excuse me, implantation of an embryo. So I will link Natalie's podcast if you are someone who's Thinking about doing IVF or egg freezing, you're gonna want to go listen to those because she goes deep into detail about what it is. So for those of you who have never heard of IVF or are new to IVF, I might say some things that you're like, I have no idea what she's talking about, because it truly is like a different language. So if you're interested in IVF, it might be good to like stop this podcast, go listen to Natalie's IVF podcast, and then come back. So some of the terminology sounds a little more easy to understand, but again, for some of you if you have general understanding of IVF, it's pretty easy. So we started our first round of IVF. This is again, the egg retrieval process. So in layman's terms, pump a bunch of meds into me, grow as many eggs as possible in my ovaries, allow them to get real big and then you go under in surgery and they pull out the eggs and retrieve them basically. So round one, honestly, I don't even remember all of our numbers and it doesn't even matter. And I really don't even like to play the numbers game that much because it's so easy to get stuck in that comparison trap of other people's fertility journey. And please know with IVF, it only takes one. It only takes one. I know so many people that get down to one embryo and that's all they need to get their miracle. So we started IVF round one, went through it all, they fertilized my eggs uh, with my husband's semen and it's wild. It's a wild process. They literally like shoot one little sperm into the egg. The egg fertilizes, you let it grow. So again, this is an embryo growing in a petri dish. This is outside of my body. This is in a lab and you watch your embryos grow and then you get to a point, you genetic test them, you do all of these things and along the way you're losing embryos. And for us, after round one, we didn't have any embryos left. So we went through an entire round of IVF financially, mentally, emotionally, and we got the call that we had nothing, nothing to show for it other than my body being pumped with hormones, losing quite a bit of money and having nothing. And that for me, as hard as that was for us, I am so thankful for that. Now looking back, because there was this part of me that's a perfectionist, that's a control freak, that I thought that I had control. I genuinely thought like, okay, we can't get pregnant naturally. We're going to do IVF. It's going to work. I'm going to control it. We're going to be good. We'll you know, be pregnant by March, April, and everything will be fine. And then we got to this point and we had nothing. And that just about broke me and very much so humbled me and made me realize that I don't have control. Sure, I have control of like the medication schedule and listening to the doctor's orders and doing all of these things, but so much of this is out of your control. So much of this is 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 truly it just differs round to round and that's what we learned that your IVF, as much as it's treatment, it's also diagnostic. So as we got through round one and it didn't work and they're like, okay, here's some things we can do different next time. And you're sitting there like, next time? What? Like I thought we'd be one and done. So that took some time to grieve, to work through, to figure out what we were going to do differently. That was a question I had multiple people writing in about one, two, three failed rounds of IVF. Now again, please know that I'm not a doctor. Everybody's, you know, story and journey is so different, but I do have some major differences between round one for us and our second and third round. And the big differences, if I had to just kind of list them, number one was faith. And the prayer that I was praying was drastically different. So in round one, it was all about, it was self-centered. It was, I want to get pregnant. I'm praying for a baby. Pray to get me pregnant. Like I was praying for a circumstantial outcome. Once we went through that grieving process of losing our embryos and round one not working, Mm -hmm. the prayer changed drastically. And I'm going to talk about in a little bit my support group um, that has everything to do with this piece of it. But my prayer changed from praying for a baby and praying to get pregnant from to praying to trusting God's plan and timing, whatever that looked like. So if that was going to be five years from now, if that was going to be six months from now, whatever it was, the prayer changed to say, I have no control. This is up to you. And whether you're religious or not listening to this, whatever you believe that is totally up to you. I'm not trying to push on anyone. But for me, that was the biggest change, leaning into my faith, trusting God, trusting his plan. And that helped my mental health drastically. So I'm going to, I'm just going to leave it there for now. And then I'm going to get into mental health here in a minute but that was number one was faith. And then medically, we did some things different. So medically, we adjusted the meds a little bit. We added human growth hormone um, injections, which can help with egg quality. And then we, I also added tons of acupuncture. So I did no acupuncture for round one. I had heard about it and kind of done some research. It was hard for me. I didn't really I knew it was a little more woo woo. And I just thought like, I'm just going to stick to more of this like medical brain. But then I was like, you know what, after one round, not working, I was like, I'll do anything. So I ended up doing acupuncture like two to three times a week. I found an amazing acupuncturist physician, multiple physicians in the area. And Again, I just want to acknowledge, I know this comes from so much privilege to be able to even just say like, add this in, add this in. Like the drugs are expensive. The acupuncture is expensive. Everything is wildly expensive. But I want to make it clear that I think that faith and the prayer that I was praying was the biggest difference. But then medically speaking, adding HDH, which is an omnitrope is the drug in the fertility world, or, um, and, excuse me, adding the acupuncture were huge differences. Uh, At this point too, I had really been working with a therapist to get my anxiety down and um, I had cut all caffeine for rounds two and three as well. Now again, how much does that do? Nobody knows. There's very limited research but I think for me, I I do recognize when I have caffeine, I am more anxious. And so, and I'm not a big coffee drinker anyways. I was like maybe one cup a day and it was maybe like five times a week, let's say. So then for rounds two and three, I was like, no caffeine, don't need the extra anxiety going through enough. So those were the biggest changes. And from there, um, Round one having no embryos, we ended up after round two and three combined having 11 viable embryos. And that to me was like, I never could have imagined that. We are so grateful. For those of you listening, the one embryo, is now a fetus in my uterus, but the other 10 are frozen, and that does not mean that you'll have 10 children. That means it's 10 chances of a child. So when you transfer an embryo and place an embryo into your uterus to try to get pregnant, you have a 60% chance, that's six zero percent chance, if you have genetically tested your embryos with IVF. So and that just Comparatively, if you are naturally trying to get pregnant and you and your partner have no fertility issues and you're having sex and trying to conceive during your fertile window, you have a 25% chance of getting pregnant. So with IVF, that is the highest percent chance that you can get is that 60% chance. But I'm like, you know what? 40% not working is also really high, but we got to stay positive here. So we were very, very blessed that our first transfer stuck. And that transfer day is the coolest, most special thing ever. The embryologist kind of like walks in and they're like, all right, name, date of birth. Let's make sure this is the right embryo. Your RE just, you watch it on an ultrasound, pops the little embryo into your uterus. You watch it and they're like, okay, you're good. And you're like, what? that's it. (laughs) And so it's, it's magical. It's beautiful. It's wild. Um, science is amazing. And then from there on out, you wait 10 days and then you find out if you're pregnant. And that was a question we got. How amazing did it feel to get the, see the positive pregnancy test for two and a half years? I've taken so many pregnancy tests, all being negative, um, which is pretty traumatic, and pretty exhausting. So seeing that positive pregnancy test and sharing that special moment with my husband was amazing. That line, that second line came up like right away. We waited until day 10. I know some some people will test like day five post-transfer and try to watch the line appear, but we, we didn't even tell anybody we were transferring, not even our parents. We really just wanted to like keep a clear mind and and take a deep breath and, and really not even think about it. We kind of wanted to just like if we didn't talk about it, it's like it didn't happen. And that kind of helped us just pray about it and not think about it. And yeah. So it was amazing to see that pregnancy test. But you know, something I often see a lot of people talk about in the infertility community is it's hard to believe because when you've gone through years of trying and fertility treatments like sure you see it but you're like is this real like this can't be real like this this is too good like this isn't going to last kind of thing so you know my husband and I really challenged each other to like lean into joy and allow ourselves to be happy and allow ourselves to celebrate um because that can be really really hard to do after a, a infertility journey of any kinds um, so, now I want to get into I want to get into the mental health aspects. So that's just a little bit about our background so you have an idea. And again, I just am holding space for anyone any point in their journey. If you're trying to conceive, if you're going through fertility treatments, if you've experienced miscarriage or pregnancy loss. I mean, it's it is all so hard and often so not talked about and I just want you to know I'm holding space for you no matter where you're at in your journey. So I got so many questions of how did you stay positive? How did you hold on to hope? Um, What made you mentally strong during this journey? And I want to make it really clear when people ask like, how did you stay positive? I didn't. Like, I just want to be explicitly clear here. Um, And this is again, where I think the skills and You know, things I've really worked on in my intuitive eating journey have completely saved me in my fertility journey. So, when people say, How did you stay positive? I didn't. I allowed myself to grieve. I allowed myself to feel all the feelings, all the emotions. Um, It's not about toxic positivity and just, it'll be okay. Everything is going to be great. Like, other people have it worse than you. Like, hell no. It was, allowing myself to be jealous, to be angry, to be sad. Um, Did I stay in those emotions? No, of course not. For a really long time, no. But allow yourself to feel them and don't have judgment or guilt or shame for feeling emotions. Because unless you are dead, you're a human being and you're going to feel those emotions, especially on a fertility journey. So and I just stole a quote from Brie Campos. That was from one of our podcasts with her. She she had said, like, unless you're dead, you're going to feel uncomfortable feelings. And that's important to note. Like, you're going to feel all the feelings. So don't judge yourself when they come up. Now, with that being said, again, like I said, I didn't stay in those feelings for a really long time. So I tried to just write out a little list of the things to that I think were the most helpful to me and my journey. Does this mean they're gonna work for you? Heck no, we're different humans. We have different lives, um, different personalities, different characteristics, different you know support systems. But these are the things that if anybody asks me, what got you through your fertility journey? This is my answer. So some of this I already talked about, but first point, hands down, number one has been my faith. And it wasn't there in the beginning. And that's why, again, I think I have such a clear line of vision of that is when I was not turning to God, when I was relying on controlling it myself, I was anxious. I couldn't do anything else. It was all I thought about. It was all I talked about. I was so worried. I lived my life from shot to shot. I couldn't do anything else. And then when I changed that mindset, when I leaned into God, I was able to have a life outside of infertility. I was able to say, Hey, worrying is just literally praying for what you don't want to happen. So why are you doing that? And again, you're human, you're going to worry like that's normal. But I realized how much that worrying wasn't going to help anything. And that he already has written the ending to the story. So, why try to control it? So, that by far is number one. Number two, which I've already mentioned, is finding a clinic you feel comfortable at. If you are not comfortable or don't feel safe at your clinic, this, I can't even imagine the journey. And I've seen people post about like horror stories of clinics and whatnot. And it's really, really important that you have a doctor and a clinic that you feel comfortable at. And that it just it, it's a no-brainer for me and I and I feel so fortunate see we didn't have a bad experience at a clinic thankfully so I don't really have as many tips on that of tra- changing clinics but I know there's tons of just IVF influencers and people out there talking about their journeys that do talk about that I would say point number three is really rely on your spouse and your partnership and your that teammate kind of bond Uh, It's important to know that you're going to grieve differently. You're going to feel differently because you're different humans. And, but knowing that you're in this together, that is so important. Although fertility, infertility and these struggles, I would never, ever, ever wish on my worst enemy. Um, It does amazing things for a marriage because it forces you to come together and work together. So really just being able to talk to your partner, you know, figure out what kind of support they need, what kind of support you need outside of your marriage, because you can't solely lean on your partner. That That's really heavy. But that's something I think just, again, no-brainer comes up for me. Other things that were really important that I've mentioned briefly, therapy. Therapy, therapy, therapy. If you don't already go to therapy, whether you're struggling with infertility or not, highly recommend it but going to a therapist who will listen to you, who will help you develop coping mechanisms that are safe for you. Therapy, huge, 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 huge. Another one that I've mentioned earlier was a support group. Um, The support group that I went to was Moms in the Making, which is a Christian-led support group. I believe it was like $15 for six months and their biweekly virtual meetings, the women that I met and still text with have my Facebook group with it, it was life changing. And this makes so much sense to me because as an intuitive eating counselor, the owner of fine food freedom, we do group coaching, right? We have groups of women that come together, that are going through a similar struggle, have similar lived experiences, and watching them grow and flourish is one of the fav- my favorite parts of my job. So when I came, I was like, I need a support group, and I need a group of women who have are going through IVF, who have gone through IVF, who have been struggling because they understand. And that's not to say that you can't lean on your current friends, but we're going to get into in a few moments here people ask how do you support somebody going through this like how do you support a friend it's important to release the expectations that other people are going to know how to support you through this because unless they've gone through infertility struggles they are not going to know what to do unless they are a therapist or a counselor and understand grief and have experienced some sort of loss they're not going to understand. And they might be the best friend in the world and they might be like wonderful, but that's like anything in life, right? Unless we go through it, we can't really fully understand. And so finding a support group of amazing humans that is going to support you, that's going to pray for you, that's going to understand what you're going through, that to me is so important. Like hands down, hands down. Now this one is a little more specific to me as a counselor and as a dietitian, but I wrote down here supervision. So my job, you know, whether it's group coaching, whether it's one-on-one coaching at Fine Food Freedom, a big part of my job is helping support other human beings that are going through really hard things. That's like a very broad way of saying what we do. So for me to be able to support other human beings, I had to get support myself. And what I mean by that is I had to get support from a supervisor, somebody in my field who is more experienced than me, who has been in the intuitive eating, health at every size space for years, so I don't bring my shit into sessions. And therapists are required to do this. They're required to seek supervision from a therapist in order to help support other humans. It's actually crazy that dietitians are not required to do this, especially if you're helping other humans. So that was one thing that was really big for me is in addition to therapy, in addition to my support group, getting supervision so I could deal with my shit in therapy, support group, supervision. So when I was showing up to client meetings, when I was showing up to group coaching, I I was okay. And okay in the sense of, I was there, I was present, I could provide the best possible care for my clients. Because as a human helping other humans, you have to help yourself if you want to help others. And it took time for me to realize that I almost burnt out. I tried to do the same workload going through infertility as I did before we were diagnosed, before we were going through it, and I had to get help. Because if I didn't, I was going to break, I was going to burn out and I wasn't going to be able to, to support people. And again, I want to just acknowledge like the privilege here that I'm talking about getting supervision, getting therapy, you know, all of these things. But without those, I don't think I would have been able to keep up doing what I was doing. And then lastly, this one's kind of tied to therapy. So it's like therapy part B. (laughs) but boundaries. Being able to say no to people, letting your friends and family know, like, hey, I'm not okay. I'm not, and that's okay. You don't need to do anything, but I just want to let you know, like, I'm taking on less, or I can't maybe support you in the ways that I did previously, and I want to so badly, but I just can't do that right now. And having those tough conversations, and the friends that love you Are going to support that they're going to totally acknowledge it and that's going to help you because if someone doesn't know you're struggling they're not going to know to set up to respect a boundary that you never set with them right and they're going to keep piling things on your plate or they want to meet up or they want to do this and you might just feel like you know what getting out of bed is an accomplishment for me which there were months on end months on end that getting out of bed was like a huge accomplishment. And the, and, and again, our, we were going through the thick of infertility during COVID-19 and quarantine. So being trapped inside, being isolated, going through all of this, like just getting out of bed was like huge. So saying no to people, it's okay to take on less. So now this goes through... To the next question, and kind of wrapping things here, people asked a lot of questions, you know, how can I be more sensitive to my friends that are going through this, that have gone through miscarriage? Now, I want to make it clear, I am knocking on a lot of wood over here that I have not experienced that and miscarriage, but I obviously have gone through infertility, which is a grieving process in and of itself, but it's important to know that I'm going to go back to the line I said earlier. It takes both parties here. The people that are experiencing infertility, and it took me a while to understand this, it's important to release those expectations of others understanding what you're going through, especially if you don't tell them. So if you don't tell someone you're going through it, if you don't set a boundary with someone, they might ask you, when are you guys having kids? Oh my gosh. Are you pregnant? Like, and again, those questions should never be asked. Like that's a whole nother podcast episode, but if they don't know, they're not intentionally trying to hurt you, but it's important to release those expectations of others. Because once you do that, you realize, Hey, they don't know how to support me unless I tell them. And that's where setting boundaries is really important but for those of you who are asking how can i support friends going through it my biggest piece of advice is instead of always asking or leading with how are you doing they're probably not doing well like and again totally depends on what point in their journey at what's going on with them you know where they're at in treatment but instead of asking how are you doing ask how can I support you? And maybe even being really, really forward with them of saying, I know that you're going through a tough time and I can't imagine what it feels like. I want you to know that you can come to me and you can vent and you can cry and you can talk about anything you want with me, but I don't, I'm going to stop asking you how you're doing. I'm going to stop asking about it and just know that you can come to me whenever because that can be really draining if somebody's open about their story and they're getting 27 text messages. How are you doing? What's going on? What's the next treatment? It's again, people mean well, and that's where it's releasing the expectation. If you're going through infertility of these other people, but the people that are supporting you just stick with, how can I best support you during this time? Instead of saying it's going to be okay or it's going to work out, that must be so hard for you, what you're going through right now. Just validate how they're feeling. That's all you need to do. Maybe a simple act of kindness. Send them flowers. Send them their favorite cupcakes or donuts or whatever. Just let them know that you're thinking of them. And that's like above and beyond. You don't need to do that, but just being there. Instead of how are you doing, say, how can I support you? And the friends that did that for me were, they have no idea how appreciative I am of them. And to go on that tangent, just those of you who are listening, I got hundreds and hundreds of DMs of people saying, which is just still like mind-blowing to me, saying like, I know I don't even know you or I haven't met you, but I've been praying for you and I'm so happy my prayer has been answered. Like pray for your friends. Pray for people that are struggling. Um literally just had a dentist appointment before this episode and my hygienist told me she's been struggling and going through it. And she was like, I felt like we were meant to talk today. And I'm like, I'm gonna pray for you. Like I want you to know I'm praying for you. And any of you who have DM'd me again hundreds of messages once I shared my story of people going through it, I'm praying for you. Like I read those messages and I say prayers out loud every day for people who are struggling. Just being a kind human, validating those going through it can just be so, so important. So I want to wrap this episode with just a huge thank you, huge freaking thank you to every single person that has sent a congratulatory message, that has sent a prayer, that has commented, that has reached out. If you're listening to this, you know, please send this episode to anyone that you know that is struggling, that is going through it. Um, Maybe you know other friends and you, you as a unit are trying to support a friend going through it. That would mean the world to me. And I just I just, again, I want to say thank you so, so much for all of your support. It is completely overwhelming. The amount of love we have felt, my husband and I, it, it is crazy. And we just ask that you continue. If you have con- you know prayed before, continue the prayers that our baby continues to grow strong and healthy. We still have a while to go here. We are due June 1st. So we're ready for that summer baby to come out. Um, and we just can't wait to have that baby in our arms and not only that, but then start to enter the world of feeding a child and raising an intuitive eater. I study children with intuitive eating and babies. And now I get to like live that out, which I know is going to come with all of the challenges. Um, I don't expect it to be an easy ride, but I'm just excited to be able to have this experience. So I just want to say thank you again from the bottom of my heart for being here, for supporting myself and my husband on our journey. And I am thinking of you. If you're going through this, send us a DM and I just love you guys so much. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun.